Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and to worship you and to look at your word and to see what you'd have to say to us. We ask that you lead and guide in all that we we study tonight in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 68. It's a long psalm. I don't expect us to get through the whole psalm tonight. All right, Psalm 68. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad, let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name, extol him that rideth on the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. The, a father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows, the, is God in his holy habitation. God set, sets the solitary in families. He brings out those which are bound with chains, uh, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Oh God, when you went before, uh, went forth before your people, when you did march the wilderness, Selah, the earth shook, the heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, O God, did send a plentiful rain, whereby you did confirm your inheritance when it was weary. Your con congregation has dwelt therein. You, O Lord, have prepared your goodness for the poor. The Lord gave the word, the word great was the company of those that did publish it. Kings and armies did, did flee a peace, and she that tarried at the home divided the spoil. Though you have lean among the pots, yet shall you be as the wings of a dove covered with the silver and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scatters, scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Salaam. The hill of, the, of God is as the hill of Bashan, and the high hill that is the hill of Bashan. Why leap you upon high hills? This is the will which God desires to dwell in, the hill in which God desires to dwell in. Yea, and the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah. He that is our God is the God of salvation, and, and unto God the Lord belong the issues of death. But God shall wound the head of his enemies, and the hairy scalp of such a one as goes on still in his trespass. The Lord said, I will bring again from Bashan, I will bring my people again from the depths of the sea, that thy foot may be dipped in the blood of your enemies and the tongue of your dogs in the same. They have seen your, their, your goings, O God, even the goings of my God, my King, in the sanctuary. The singers went before, the players on instruments followed after. Among them were the damsels playing with timbrels. Bless, ye, bless you, God, in the congregation, even the Lord from the found, found, fountain of Israel. There is little Benjamin with their ruler, the princes of Judah and their council, the princes of Zebulun and the princes of Nephetali. Thy God hath commanded thy strength. Strengthen, O God, that which you have wrought for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem shall kings bring presents unto you. 
rebuked the company of spearmen, the multitude of the bulls, the calves of the people, till everyone submit himself with pieces of silver, scatter you the people that delight in war. Princes shall come out of Egypt, Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. Sing unto God, ye kingdoms of the earth, sing praises unto the Lord, Selah. To him that rides upon the heavens of heavens, and, and which of were of old, lo, he does send out his voice, and that a mighty voice. Ascribe ye strength unto God, his excellency is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. O God, you are terrible out of your holy places. The God of Israel is he that gives strength and power unto his people. Blessed be God. All right. Long psalm. We're not going to get it done all in one night, I'm sure. How you doing over there? Well, I'm doing fine. I'm just absorbing. Okay. Now, as much of a sponge as I am, uh, and my understanding and my you know, attentiveness and all that sort of stuff, uh, you got and I'm Polish, so be careful. <laughs> 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 you're half Polish? Is that, you said you're half Polish? Oh, well, yeah, half is good. <laughs> all right verse one let god arise let his enemies be scattered let them that hate him flee before him as smoke is driven away so drive them away as wax melts before the fire so let the wicked perish at the presence of our god this is an interesting start you know because this is this is uh the psalm of david and he says you know let god arise and his enemies be scattered and we've talked a lot about God is our defense. You know, we hide in him, but this is, a, this is God going on the offensive. When he arises, his enemies will scatter. And he really doesn't have any enemies other than, you know, you know, Satan wanting to be an enemy. But when God rises up, he will be victorious. And this is what David says, let them that hate him flee before him. And then he gives the very poetic, as smoke is driven away, so drive them away. And if you've ever been any place, you know, where you've had a smoky fire, the smoke always gets moved away unless it's very, very dead, dead out there. But uh, you know, if you've ever gone camping, you know, my dad's favorite saying was "smoke follows beauty," and because the smoke would always get blown toward us, you know, it does, yeah. You know, no matter what side of the fire you sat on, the smoke you seen, you know, and everybody moved to the other side of the fire, and the smoke yeah. would come that direction. So I mean, but smoke gets blown by by the wind, and it doesn't take much wind. <coughs> to blow smoke around. Uh, and here in, here in uh, the Mojave County, there's always wind, almost always wind, and always, you know, smoke always doesn't last long. Uh, but it says, and also, as, melt, as wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked per perish at the presence of God. You know, and if you've ever lit a candle, watch the, watch the wax melting away, or put wax near a, near a, near a, uh, furnace or something you know, you watch it melt <laughs> and uh, this is God saying when he moves forward his enemies just get driven away he's the flame on the wax he's the the wind on the smoke and they will just be driven away that's the victoriousness of our God and you know it's it's kind of hard when we will end up being depressed because we don't see the victory of God and we, we just need to wait for him to move. And sometimes it takes, seems for, at least from our perspective, it seems to take God a long time to move sometimes. But when you see him move, it's actually quite scary sometimes when you watch God come forward in defense. 
He's very patient with people. He will let them you know, keep doing wrong because he wants them to repent. He wants them to change on their own. But when he moves, he moves. You know, we look at the flood of Noah. Noah got to preach to people for 200 years as he built the boat. 120 years, excuse me, as he built his boat. And he preached, and then all of a sudden, God closed the doors on him, and he sent the rain and, and destroyed the world. He has done this all through the scriptures, where he doesn't seem to move, doesn't seem to move, and then all of a sudden, everything changes. And we see that when the children of Israel go into Egypt, and they become slaves, and, they, and they're going to stay there for you know, uh, close to 200 years, and all of a sudden, God moves. <laughs> And they're, they're taken out of Egypt. We're, we're headed toward the end times. And God has given people plenty of time to repent. And, but when he, when he moves, he's going to start moving. And this is what we see in the book of Revelation. Is Once he starts, it goes in rapid fire. And there will be trials and, and troubles. And when he, when he sent the plagues against Egypt, we know, we know that those plagues happened very quickly because... He was 40 years old when he saw the, saw the burning bush and went to Egypt. And he was, excuse me, he was 80 years old when he saw the burning bush and went to Egypt. And he's 120 when he dies and they wander for 40 years in the wilderness. So we know that the plagues did not take long to hit Egypt. So when God moves, he comes in with great vengeance. And this is what David said, God, rise up. <laughs> Rise up, move. And this is something that's kind of a, I don't, I don't like this prayer myself, God arise, because I've seen what God does when he rises up and goes after people. I've seen people's lives been hurt bad because they refuse to repent. And yet God needs to do it every once in a while. And I pray that he never has to do it toward me, that I'll be soft and repent and, and really don't even want to see him go after people that come after me because I know how hard it is that he'll come after them. But David, David does a lot of precatory prayers, and that means, that means prayers of, God, go get them. <laughs> okay? David does a lot of that. But David's a warrior. I mean, he's, he, you know, when he's asking God to get it, that's, that's quite a step for David because David's, David's just as likely to say, God, I'm ready to go get them. Now, I've got the whole army at my disposal, God. I, I'll go get them. <laughs> So for him to say, God, get them, that's quite a, quite a backing off for David. Uh, because David, you know, he's a warrior. You know, verse 3, but let the righteous be glad and let them rejoice before God. Let, yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. And David's saying, when God moves, let the righteous be glad or rejoice. Let them be exuberant, you know, and... And, and have exceeding rejoicing. You know, this is David saying, you know, when God moves, you know, watch him. And this is what I've shared even this morning. You know, we want to be able to see what is God doing in our life? What is he doing around us? And we need to rejoice in that. You know, the good things that he's doing, the, the defense that he's doing, the blessings that he's giving. Because we need to be able to focus on that. It's so easy for us sometimes to get into this mindset that God's not doing anything. And we want to watch it carefully. Sing praises. Uh, let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Let them be exceedingly rejoice. 
and God's going to take care of us, and he really will take care of us when we put our trust in him. It doesn't mean that we're going to just sit back and he's going to throw the things into our lap. Uh, I've had to, like I said, I've done many things to get, you know, to survive, and, and it's important that we do whatever it takes. And God will, God will provide, and we rejoice. When he provides, we rejoice. And it says, sing unto God, sing praises to his name, extol him that rideth on the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. And you kind of notice that I know that one because it's a song that we used to sing in one of the churches that I, that verse is a song. But we sing to God, we praise God. And this is very critical for us is if we will focus on what God is doing and praise him, a lot of our depression and our bad moods and everything tend to go away. Uh, you know, if you want to be in a bad mood, concentrate on everything that's going wrong in your life, and you'll get into a, very, a bad mood very quickly. You want to concentrate, you know, if you want to see God and be joyful and praise God, then start looking at what he's doing in your life. And this is why my, my favorite, one of my songs, hymns that I love is count, count Your Blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. The more we concentrate on what God is doing in our life, the more we're going to be willing to praise him. Now, and as I said, most people who are in a very miserable state are concentrating on all the bad that's going on in their life, and they will get to the place where they're going to say to themselves, nothing good is happening. Okay? And even in the worst times that I've had, I don't think I've ever had a time when nothing good has been happening. Okay? Now, I've, there have been times when I've been been overwhelmed by a lot of bad things, but, you know, but it was my focus on the bad and not on God. And I've shared this. How many times have you walked through the middle of a storm with your eyes focused on God, and then you kind of look back over your life and say, wow, a lot's happened to me in this last month, and you didn't notice it because your eyes were focused on God. And then another time you're going through practically nothing and being knocked around and beat up because your eyes are focused on the problems and not on God. And you compare the two and say, wow, I went through a storm and didn't notice it. And this other time, you know, these things really aren't that bad and I'm getting beat up. It's a lot of it, where are we focused? And we've got to keep focused on God and we keep focused on him. And it's not positive thinking. I'm not trying to say positive thinking, but we focus on what God is doing. And we see that he's blessing. And the more we look at his blessing, the more we'll recognize his blessing. And if we're looking at all the bad things happening, we're going to get ourselves depressed. You want to be depressed? Concentrate on the bad. Uh, and you'll be depressed really well. And you'll stay depressed. And this is something that's been a problem. There's been many of the great pastors had problems with depression. D.L. Moody always would be depressed after he had a great revival because not enough people got saved in his mind. Now, he'd have hundreds and thousands come forward and he'd be depressed because not more came forward. You know, you want to talk about looking at the wrong picture. You know, this is, this is where what can happen. And so we want to be very careful. What is God doing? Stay focused on what he's doing. And just know that he's in control. He's our, he's our protector. He's our, he's our fortress. Then you want to close that window because the light is, I think, is shining on. <laughs> Verse 5. 
A father to the fatherless, a judge of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. God is going to take care of those that have needs. He is the father to the fatherless, to the orphans. He is the, the protector of the widows. Now he puts, that, he puts it into the scriptures that we're to take care of the orphans, we're to take care of the widows. But if we refuse to, he's going to do it anyway, and we will be having the problems of not taking care of them. And this is, so, this is a verse that is, these types of verses have comforted so many people that have, have need for the father, need for a, need for a, for a husband. Uh, that God is that one that is the protector, the guidance. Uh, he's the one that's going to keep everything going forward. And he says he sets the solitary in families. He brings out those which are unbound by chains. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. God will give us freedom. He will put us into a family. And this is what I love about the Christian church is that it is a family. I can go anywhere in the United States and go to church, go to a Bible teaching church and have family. And it is quite amazing. It's quite amazing when you look at some of the sermons preached on any given Sunday and you listen to sermons being preached by other pastors on the same Sunday and you hear the same theme in a lot of these sermons going on. Uh, I was listening to one of, the, one of the pastors this morning and he talked about Jonah. And in fact, as a matter of fact, he talked about exactly the same part of Jonah that I talked about this morning. Oh, wow. yeah, so it, it was kind of very interesting. You know, I'm listening and I'm going, wow, he's talking about Jonah, you know, not caring about these people and knowing God's characteristics that he would be forgiving. You know, and it's, I'll be talking to my son, you know, on the East Coast, Neil, and I'll share what I, what I preached on. He goes, well, my pastor preached on the same general topic. You know, it's amazing how God ministers to his people all across the, 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 the world on the same general topic so often. And it is, it is very amazing to watch God work. And it says that he will loose those that are in chains. When we are in those depressions, when we are bound up, he looses the chains and says, here's your freedom. But if you want to be rebellious, he says, you're going to dwell in a dry land. And if you've ever been in a rebellious place with God, you know what it means to be in a dry land. <laughs> I've been there, done that. You know, God says, okay, we're just going to let you dry out for a little bit until you're ready to repent and come back. And if you know what it's like to be dry in spirit, it's a rough place to be. Very hard place to be. And God says, if you're going to be rebellious, you're going to dry out. You're, going to, you're not going to have my, the, the living water. You're not going to have that freedom. And you're, not, you're going to be bound up. Instead of being loosened up because you're following him, he says, I'm going to just keep those chains on you. And he goes, oh God, when you go forth before your people, when you did march through the valley of the wilderness, Selah, and this is talking, David's referring back to the wandering in the wilderness. The children of Israel, you know, fed by manna every day. Having, having water from the rock. Having quail. I mean, it's a, it was quite a, quite a thing when the people were, were going forward through, through Israel. God provided for, you know, the three and a half to seven million people wandering through the wilderness and fed them every day and watered them every day. And if we think about that, I mean, even in here in Golden Valley, you wouldn't want to be stuck <laughs> trying to feed three, three and a half million people. Uh, there's just not that much 
water and, and, and game around this area. Uh, and you think about this, you know, this was a pretty big desert that they were crossing and they were being fed and taken care of by God and led by God. And, you know, and David is saying, you know, hey, you took care of them. You took care of the people. So, verse 8, the earth shook, the heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. And this goes back to Exodus 19 and 24, where God came down upon Mount Sinai, and Mount Sinai shook, and lightning thundered. And the people said, Moses, you go up there. We're not going anywhere near this mountain because we don't want to be near this God. You know, and they, they were scared. They were scared. Thunder and lightning on the mountain and fire on the mountain. And they're going, Moses, you go talk to God. Uh, you deliver to us what he wants to say. And we, we look at this. They stayed at Mount Sinai for over a year. You know, we sometimes forget that. It took them, took them about three months to get to Mount Sinai, and then they stayed there for over a year, getting instructions from God. Camped out at the bottom of this mountain and building the, building the tabernacle and all the other things God has told them to do. Verse 9, You, O Lord, did send a plentiful rain, whereby you did confirm your inheritance when it was weary. God provides and the rain, rain is very important, and especially when you're in the wilderness and in the, in the desert areas, rain is very important for us. But it says, you sent plentiful rain to confirm your inheritance. And these are the people of Israel being watered, being taken care of, their basic need. And if you think about this, water is really our basic, most basic need. You can, you can live almost 40 days without food, but you can't live more than three or four days without water. You want to die quickly, just don't take any water. And the amazing thing here in America is where we've got very pure, very clean water, we got, most of the Americans are dehydrated because they don't drink enough water. And all you got to do is walk over to a tap and turn it on and have all the water you want in most of America. And, and we think about this, in most of the, in most of the world, you don't drink the water out of your tap because it's not safe. And this is, or you have to walk miles to go to the nearest well to get your water. Uh, now, some people in Golden Valley kind of know what that's like because they have to go drive to get their water and bring it back. Uh, but you still have plenty of water nearby. It's not like it's very you know, hard to get. Uh, but God provides for his people the most most important uh, need of their water. And it says it's plentiful. And it's kind of amazing in the, in the desert when we get a lot of rain, it, it just washes right down into the washes and down into the rivers and doesn't stick around. Uh, and it doesn't take much rain to, to cause these flooded washes. Uh, I love it when we get rain down in Kingman, all the water flows down in that one big wash that runs through the center of Kingman and I go, look, we got the Kingman River running and it's not even a heavy rainfall, but this, that wash runs and it's deep. It's not, it, it literally is like a river on that, on that. And it doesn't take much because the ground is so hard it doesn't soak. And that's why we need long, slow rains around here so that it can stick around and not, not totally disappear. And uh, but David is saying, God, you sent 
plentiful rain and you did confirm or establish your inheritance. Your congregation has dwelt therein. You, O God, have prepared of your goodness for the poor. God will provide for us his goodness for the poor. He takes care of the poor. He takes care of the needs. You know, and unfortunately, as I've said before, in America, we, we, we mix up needs and, and, and uh, desires and wants all the time. Uh, you know, talking, talking about somebody earlier, you know, it's, uh, you know, for years we didn't have air conditioning in places that were hot and humid. And people would look at us and go, how could you do that? Well, because we couldn't afford to run an air conditioner. You know? We we did without we did without what we needed to do without, and you know for years we only had one car because we couldn't afford two cars, uh, and this is where people get into get into the all this idea of what is a need, what is a desire, and for us in America we have a lot of people that, you know have a lot of needs, uh, desires that they consider needs. You know, for the average American, if they don't have cable TV or satellite TV, they're, they're feeling like they're deprived. You know, they don't have internet at their house, they're deprived. Uh, you know, they don't have two cars, they're deprived. And you know, it's very interesting because, you know, in the news we keep hearing about all the 1% the that are wealthy and, you know, that, that don't pay their taxes in America. Well, the sad thing about it is even our, even our poorest people in America are rich by most countries' standards. You know, if you have a house over your head or a roof over your head, you're fairly well off as far as most countries are concerned. If you eat two meals a day, you're well off compared to most countries. If you've got money in the bank, you know, even if it's only two or three dollars or a couple pennies, you're, you are well off compared to most of the world. You know, and there's many places in the world where they're living on a dollar or two a day, you know, three or four dollars a week, and that's what they make. Now, so we look at this and say, you know, we, we, we talk about people being poor and not having things. Well, yes, by American standards, they're poor and don't have anything, but yet they have, their, their needs are met. Their needs are met. There's very few people literally starving. Now, there may be people that are hungry. I'm not going to say that there aren't people going to bed hungry or not. But we don't have people starving to death very often in America. And we don't have the distended stomachs and the, you know, and the, and the ribs showing on all their sides. You know, are they getting all the food they want? Maybe not. But they're not dying of their starvation. They're getting to eat. Now, there are, and don't get me wrong, I know there are people in this country that are in that state, but they're very rare. You know, they're very rare. And we have so many safety nets in this country that, you know, they're taken care of. There's food banks in just about every, every church to help them out. You know, there's all kinds of ways in America to be helped. And so we want to be careful that God is taking care of needs. And... You know, Dr. Johnson last night at the missions bank was talking about, you know, these, these people that haven't even heard the gospel, that don't have roofs over their heads. You know, you know if you remember, he was talking about the, these guys that would go out, 10 and 30 of them, to hunt the elephants so they could feed the entire village. Okay. Uh, hunting them with those little bows that he showed, uh, showed us. You know, and, you know, not because they were just wanting a trophy, but, but they needed to feed the village food. 
and you know, and we just, you know, we're not in that place right in this country. And God provides our needs. He cares for us. And it's out of his goodness. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. And think about that. God speaks to us. And David's saying, great is the company that publishes his word, that, it, that exclaims and shares it. And this is probably the saddest thing in the American church is how little we proclaim the gospel to people. We have all the freedom in the world. We can go knock on doors. We can go downtown and, you know, on Beale Street and, and share the gospel with people. And yet, so often, we're afraid to share the gospel with people. And it's a pretty sad thing. Uh, talking, to, talking with the pastor at the last uh, Kingman Ministerial Association, his church is going out and doing street evangelism and everything and, and talking to people. They go to Vegas and... and, and and to, to, to preach the gospel on the, on the streets. You know, they go to the fairgrounds and the fairgrounds going on and, and give the gospel. And how often do we shy back from even telling our family the gospel or our neighbors the gospel? Do all of our neighbors know that we're Christians? Do they know that we, have they heard the gospel from us? Have all of our relatives heard the gospel from us? Now, they, whether they accept or reject is up to them, but have we shared it with them? Do we have every one of our people that we know that we've shared the gospel with? I try. Yeah? But I'm in my heart, I'm sitting here thinking, I try. But in my heart, I know I miss many opportunities. We all miss lots of opportunities, unfortunately. I miss lots of opportunities. But one thing I can say is that I have shared with my relatives that, at times. And believe me, everybody around my house knows we're Christians. Either between me or Samuel, they all know we're Christians. <laughs> Even if you uh, use profanity around me and it happens to be Jesus or God, I've learned instead of being offended, it's the alchemy of a, do you know, you know him? <laughs> yeah. Do you know the God that can do that? <laughs> So, but, you know, the question is, are we giving out his word? Are we sharing his word or are we terrified? And, it, and again, here in America, why would we be terrified? I mean, they might make fun of us. <laughs> uh, if, if you go overseas, you might get arrested or, or killed for, for preaching the gospel. And yet people do it all the time. Mm -hmm. They will preach the gospel. Uh, I know people that are missionaries in China, and they preach the gospel mm -hmm. very openly, for that matter. You know, they're, but they're putting their they're putting their freedom on the line. People going into Syria, Iran, Iraq, all these different places where you can literally lose your life for preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel. And yet here in America, we will tend to, well, gee, do I want to share this person? They might, they might not like me. They might, they might think I'm strange. They might make fun of me. <laughs> you know, and then we look around at groups, you know, the cults like Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons that are sharing the gospel, you know, their gospel, you know, uh, with everybody. Of course, unfortunately, they're sharing the gospel because that's how they get to heaven, by doing good things. And yet we won't, we won't share Christ. With, with our people, with friends and neighbors. It's a very sad thing. Um, and we want, we need to be able to get out. We need to share the gospel. 
The Great Commission was to go into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that wasn't, Jesus wasn't telling the apostles, you are the only ones that are going to do that. That's all Christians are to go out and do that. We're all to go out and share the gospel. Now some of it, you know, part of it is like Dr. Johnson talked about. We, we give the offerings to all these, these missionaries. But just throwing money at the, at, to, to the professionals is not how we need to be presenting the gospel. We need to be doing our share. And, you know, for some of us, that's hard. Some of us, it's very hard to go out and share the gospel. So other people, it's real easy. Uh, uh, but how much do you believe in the gospel? We will talk about what's precious to us. And this is very important. When you talk with people, when you're talking, what do you talk about the most? What do you talk about the most? And this is rhetorical. I don't need anybody to, you know, you know, is it your crafts, your sports, your work? Jesus. Yeah. Or is it Jesus? <laughs> you know, I can tell you right now, and anybody who sits any time with me, we're going to talk about Jesus, and it's not just because I'm a pastor. It's been true of me as far back as I can remember. I'm going to talk about God because he's important to me. I spend time in his word. I spend time with him. I want, to, I want to tell people. Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, you will speak. So just think about, you know, look back over some of your days. What have you spent all the most of your day talking about? That doesn't mean you just talk about Jesus. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I don't want anybody to just talk about Jesus because I can talk about sports and different other things as well. But if you can go through, you know, half hour, an hour long conversation with somebody and you've never mentioned Jesus during that time, it, you might have a problem. <laughs> you might have a problem and you might want to examine, you know, what is your treasure of your heart? Uh, I had a boss one time, he goes, at, you know, he was a boss and I left that company and he found out I was, a, you know, at a pastor. He goes, well, I knew that would be the case. And then goes, why that? He goes, because whenever you would talk about God in the Bible, you lit up. Okay. You know, is that how we are when we're talking about it? Do we light up? Do we get animated? Do we get excited? Or do we feel, oh, Jay, here's another person. I got I got to talk to Je this person about Jesus. I've got to talk to this person about the Bible. I hope that's not the way it is. You know, we should be excited. And this is why I encourage people. When, you, when God shows you something in the word, when he shows you some truth, share it with people. You know, start by sharing it with Christians. Get excited and share it with Christians. Learn how to do it. But then take it the next step and start sharing it with the lost world. They'll think you're a nut, but that's okay. We are nuts. <laughs> You'll start out with one foot ahead of the other one. And if you ask the Lord before you leave the house, to let me. Let me find somebody, God, I can talk to about you. He will. There was, there was a guy at uh, College Park that he, would, he bought the, men, the men's breakfast materials and he would cook the breakfast. And while he was at the store buying the stuff, he would invite 10 or 20 men to come to the breakfast and none of them hardly ever came, but you know, he would talk to them. He, it probably took him uh, three or four hours to go buy the stuff that, would, that if I went there, it would have taken 30 minutes to do because I ignore everybody when I'm shopping. Uh, which, if, you ever, if I ever bypass you when I'm in, you know, at the store, don't take it personal because when I go to a store, it's like I'm going to get something, I'm getting back out. Uh, I go with my wife to go shopping and she'll be talking to somebody. I do the shopping and I'll come back and find her and say, okay, I'm done. <laughs> uh, so, but he would talk 
to all these people. He'd give them the gospel message. He'd invite them to the men's breakfast. Now, do we get that excited about God? I get excited. I want to know who he was. But I'll wait until later. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we want to publish it. We want to share what he's doing in our life. And the minute you tell people that God's doing something in your life, they're already, if they're not a Christian, going to look at you like you're weird anyway. But, you know, we really are. We have a whole different way of looking at this world because we are looking through it from biblical perspective. God is real. God is doing things in our life. And, and when we share him with others, they're going to look at us as if we're weird, and we are as far as they're concerned. But by, by the same token, we're going to think that they're just as weird because they're not acknowledging God in anything they're doing, and they're, and they're living for themselves, and they're... You know, they're living in their, their sins and they're, and they're happy about their, their miserable, what I would consider miserable life. You know, they're going to talk about having spent the entire night watching their television and doing nothing. You know, and watching all the negative things that Satan will throw at them. And they were happy about it. I learned a new word, self-centered. Self-centered. I, I didn't know what that meant until I researched it. Of somebody being self-centered, and, and now I, I recognize when somebody's being self-centered, it's all about them, all about them. Yeah. Look what I did, and, and God's not in the picture. Yep. So we want to be able to look at these kind of things and say, how important is God to us? How important? Because everything should, you know, that's a good point, self-centered. You know, the world is self-centered. Everything is to be what's best for me. You know, if it's good for me, it's good. If it's not good for me, then it probably wasn't all that great. And for us, as a, with a biblical, God-centered view, we're looking at what we can do for others, especially for God. But we're looking to minister to others, to build others up, to edify others, to not tear others down. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that name the name of Christ that like to tear others down and try to beat them up because they're not being good enough. You know, they're Judaizers. Follow my, you know, here's my list of rules. If you're following, if you're following my rules, you're okay. If you're not, there's some problem with you. And this is not where we're to be because God is full of grace. He's full of mercy. Edifying and building people up. Verse 12, kings of armies did flee a peace, and she that tarried at home divided the spoil. And this is David's picture. You know, the, the armies are, are running and fleeing. And the, and the people that stayed at home get the spoil. And David is talking about the armies that flee. In verse 13, you have leaned upon the pots, you, yet shall you be as the wings of a dove covered with silver and their feathers with yellow gold. This is very poetic. And, and he's saying, you're starting out with, you're, you've been leaning, you've been laying among the, sh the, the, the pots, the shepherd, the sheepfolds. You're, you've been just relaxing not doing anything but he says you should be like the dove covered with silver and her feathers covered with with yellow gold now if you actually did this to a dove there would be a terrible thing but the picture of it is the beauty <laughs> yes. that the beauty that would be brought to it the redemption the deity that that's being brought with silver and gold uh, granted, if you actually did this to the dove, you'd, you'd have all the animal rights people coming after you for, for being mean to this dove. But the, the picture of this is just the redemptive capability of the beauty that this would be on it. And it says, you know, we're not just to be stuck. We're just not to be relaxing. We're supposed to be able to go out and just live in the beauty of God. 
Silver represents redemption. God has redeemed us. If you, if you really think about that, we are redeemed. He has bought us back, and the price of that redemption was so great. It cost God, his son, his very life to redeem us. That is a huge price that was paid. He didn't, he didn't just say, well, I'm going to forgive you, you know, because he couldn't. He's a God of righteousness and holiness. He had to buy us back. He had to pay a price to buy us. And that price was his own life. And the amazing thing about this was when he created man, he knew that man was going to fail. Okay, he knew that was going to happen and he knew the price that was going to have to be paid to redeem man. And yet he created us anyway. I, when I think about that, I can't, even, I can't even comprehend why he would do it. You know, why would he create man knowing we were going to fail and knowing the price it was going to, to take to buy us back was his very life. And not just his life, he became sin, and the father had to turn his back on the son. Broken fellowship was the cost of our salvation. This to me is just so amazingly unfathomable that he would be willing to pay that great a price for us. That were his enemies. <laughs> They didn't want to have anything to do with him. Wanted to live in sin. And yet, he paid such a great price. He paid a huge price for us. And that price that he pays allows us to be joint heirs, to receive an inheritance with him, to be adopted into his family, to be justified. You know, the power of justification. God declares from the, from the throne of heaven that we're perfect because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the acceptance of that sacrifice. That is powerful when you really start to think about what was accomplished. He paid a price that is just unfathomable to be paid. He paid a huge price, knowingly doing it when he created us. And it's called the, the, the pre-incarnation counsel of God, where God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit got together and said, basically, we're going to create man, they're going to fall, and Jesus, I want you to go sacrifice your life so that they can be redeemed. And then he could decided to create us anyway. It's, to me, a most unfathomable beginning. How precious God thinks we are to do something like that. Knowing that we're not that precious <laughs> because of who we are, and yet God sees something in us that says, I want to do this for them. And he redeems us, and then he gives us all the adoption, all the joint heir with Christ. Not because of anything I have done. Because I didn't do anything other than accept a gift. I accepted a gift that was freely given to me 
and that's all I do. And he says, because you've done that, you're perfect. <laughs> then he spends an entire lifetime sanctifying us, trying to make us who he said we are. And then when we die, he's going to make us who he said, who he said we are. It is just, to me, one of those great things that are just so unfathomable. How could God do this? Why would God do this? And that's a question we can't answer. Why would God have done this? And yet he has. So that we can be joint heirs. Not just, not just made sons and daughters, but made equal sons and daughters with Jesus. With all the benefits that means. All of eternity. We will rule with him for all of eternity. And what will rule over? I don't know. Angels? Heaven? Whatever else is out there? But we'll be ruling with him as his bride, as his children, joint heirs. It's not that we become gods, but we become as close to it as we can get because of who we are related to and how he brings us together. The dove covered with silver, redemption covered with gold, the, the deity of Christ that we, begin, that we begin to be part of. The very power of all of that relationship with God. What is gold? Gold is deity. And we are joint heirs. We are, we are not made gods, but we, we are his sons and daughters, which means that we have that authority. We get to rule in his, in his name with that authority. Do, do we realize the power of what he gives us? The power that he gives us. Just think about life. Eternal life. Zoe life. Real life. I have shared with people, even if there's not a heaven, and I know there is because scripture says so, but even if there is not, I have lived a life with God that is totally worth it. <laughs> okay? That is totally worth it because he and I have had a great relationship. He has provided my needs. He has given me peace. He has given me all the things he's promised to give me. And because he's given me those, I am absolutely sure there is a heaven. But I'm just saying, if there isn't a heaven, I still have not missed anything. You know, I have, I have not missed out on anything. I have not, you know, being, being in the world way of doing thing and all the stuff that, that they have and the lack of peace they, that the world has, I have not, I am not worried about it at all because I'm sitting there following him. I have had great peace. I have had great contentment because God is in control. And so, you know, knowing that he's been, been, present in all of the other things I know that there's a heaven and I really look forward to heaven because heaven will blow this world away and I've had a good time in this world <laughs> you know and the sad thing for for we want to be very careful of and this is what should motivate us to share the gospel with people realizing that for us as Christians this world is as close to hell as we're ever going to see okay because this world isn't a great place the really sad thing, those who don't go to heaven, this is as close to heaven as they're ever going to see. Yes. When they, and they'll be looking for, when they're in hell, they'll be looking at, I wish I was back on that earth again. You know, 
where things weren't as bad. And we want to be so careful. We want the gospel shared. And, and we're told that everybody's going to have the opportunity to have heard the gospel. We all have a conscience in us that says we're doing wrong or, or not and when we're doing right. And this is something that we want to be very much aware of. You know, people will ask, well, what about the person in the middle of Africa who's never heard the name of Jesus? Well, you know, even in the, the, the craziest headhunter tribes that are out there, there's always that weirdo that understands that what they're doing is wrong and lives as close as they can to God's way of doing things because they know that what's, what's being done is wrong. They're living with the conscience that they know and they're living according to whatever knowledge they have of God. And we've got to understand, we've talked many times, the name of Jesus is not just the word Jesus. I mean, it, matter of fact, if we wanted to really deal with the name of Jesus, we better be saying Yeshua because that was his name when he was in, on this world. But every language has a different name for Jesus. But name, when we talked about name, name is all the reputation, all the power that goes behind that name. And we've talked about this. If you're an ambassador, you know, if we were to be chosen to be the ambassador from the United States to some country, every time we spoke, we would be speaking in the name of America. Ambassadors have a pretty tough job, actually. <laughs> Because they have to watch everything they say because when they speak, they're really speaking in the name of their country. Every action they do represents their, their country. We are ambassadors for Christ in this world. We are going to be held accountable for every idle word we speak, which should scare <laughs> some of us to really bad, is that every idle word, uh, some people who really like to talk a lot, that should really scare them. Yes. You know, for, for those of us who don't speak a whole lot, it still should scare us because we still speak without thinking so often. And God says, you're going to give account. You're going to give account for every word, every action that draws away from him, that sends people looking at you and saying, well, that's what a Christian's like. I don't want to have any part of being a Christian. And that's not to put a burden on us, but we do need to be careful. Uh, I've grown up in a world where I had to be professional because of the positions I held. And that meant I had to be careful of everything I said and did because it represented the company. You know, I was the manager. I was, you know, if I made fun of somebody, then, you know, that was, uh, well, how can, how can somebody that's in charge of, the, you know, this company make fun of that person? You know, or, or come in with all, the, all those silly, silly things that were going on. How do we represent God? in our daily walk? Are we taking it serious that we're representing him? Or do we get very loose and silly? And I've seen lots of Christians who get loose and silly. You know, walk that line between the, the black and white into very deep shades of gray. You know, they may not actually have crossed into the black and the sin, but they've, they've painted themselves so close to it that, you know, in my opinion, they've probably crossed it. But, you know, they're, they're, they're so close to crossing it that they're probably bringing shame to Christ. And this is where it's important. What do we do? What do we say? What do we spend our time doing? And this is, this is what I'm saying is the more you walk with God, the more you're going to see these. You know, I've been accused of walking in a black and white world, but I've been following God for, for over 40 years, 
and I do see the world pretty much black and white. God says this is sin and this isn't sin. I don't see a whole lot of gray between the two areas. <laughs> you're either doing it or you're not doing it. And it's between you and God, but you know, when I'm walking, I see it in a very black and white world. And the world wants to say, well, there's all these shades of gray. Well, in Satan's world, there's lots of shades of gray. You know, you know, and I've all shared with you, I went, I went to, to the store one time with an artist so he could buy board for his art. You know, there were like 500 pieces of you know, uh, board there, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call that. You know, it had the metal, well, yeah, it goes on the easel. And he went through 500 of those and found two that he could use. And he would go, well, this one's not good. I'm going, what's wrong with it? He goes, it's got a dimple there, and it's got a little, little dark speck here. And you know, I'm going, I don't even see the speck that he's seeing on, on, the, on this white piece of paper. A canvas, you know, this canvas that he's getting ready to draw on. But God's standard is that strong. It's got to, our life has to be perfect or it's not, not the right standard. And so this is why no amount of work will ever get us into heaven. No amount of work is ever going to please God. Because all it takes is that one imperfection. And he says, nope, this is worthless. <laughs> this is worthless. Which is why justification, sanctification, glorification, the parts of salvation are so important. We get saved and he says, you are perfect. And we know we're not. <laughs> he knows we're not really perfect. He's going to spend, etern he's going to spend all, all of our life sanctifying us. But I love to, I, I, the expression I use is going to a bankruptcy. You go to bankruptcy and, he, and the judge says, all gone. <laughs> You know down road that technically, in your mind, you still owe all these people money, but the judge says you don't owe them anymore. And they can't come after you for the money because the judge has said you don't owe it. This is the way it is when God says we are justified, we are perfect from the courts of heaven. Satan can't come to him and say, uh, look at all these sins. He goes, no, they're perfect. <laughs> and he clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. And he says, all I see is my son. All I see is my son's righteousness. And then when we're glorified, we will become what he says we were. When we die and we step into eternity, we will be what he said we were. This is powerful. And this helps us live victorious lives because we go, I'm not perfect, but God says I am. And it gives us great power when Satan comes and says, you're a terrible, rotten sinner. You know what, Satan? Yes, you're right. I'm a terrible, rotten sinner, but God says I'm perfect. I have the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to heaven. There's our power. This is why we've, we, are, we need to know who we are in Christ because God says we're perfect. And then we live in a way that will try to bring that perfection out as he sanctifies us, as he cleans up our life, and this is where every person is going to have their issues and they're going to be able to be able to grow and move forward. But God is going to change us a little bit and a little bit. He changes the way we think. And I hope you've all seen it in your life where things you used to be able to do two or three years ago you can't do today. Mm -hmm. Shows you used to be able to watch you can't watch anymore. Books you used to be able to read you can't read. Things you used to be able to say to people all of a sudden you can't say them anymore. You know, little activities you used to be able to do, you can't do anymore. Why? 
because God is changing us little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept. We get into his word, we get into his training, and he changes us just a little bit at a time, just a little bit each day, each month, each year. And as I've said before, we don't usually notice it on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't wake up and say, boy, I've really changed since yesterday. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't do that. Same thing as when you're, when you're raising a child, you don't look up and say, boy, you, you grew a whole lot this, over last night. But when you see that niece or nephew or grandchild, and it's been six months since you've seen them, and all of a sudden, you know, they were this tall, and now they're this tall, and it's like, how did you grow so fast? It's the same way in our spiritual life. If we look back over a period of time, or you go see somebody who hasn't seen you for years, and you can't do the same things that you could do when you were with them the last time, and, and then go, wow, you've changed. You look back over, your, over the last year and say, wow, God has really made me grow over this last year. We grow a little bit at a time. And that's the way it works, because he's the one that changes us. And this is his grace. This is his sanctification to us. It's not, and I've said this over and over, it's not me striving to be perfect. If I am striving to be perfect, there's a problem. Because if it's me doing it, it's works. And God's not going to allow works to stand in front of him. But when I surrender my life to him and he crucifies a part of my life and he changes me, it's changed. That's when we have that great change. We look over and we say, wow, I don't even want to do whatever it is. Put your, put this, you know, put your you know, activity that God's taken. I don't even want to to do it anymore. I don't even miss doing it. And I've shared with you, I used to be an absolute football fanatic. I watched all three, you know, four games back in those days, you know, and spent a lot of time watching football. Now, is it a simple thing to, to watch football? No. But God asked me one day, you know, what else could you be doing in that 12, uh, that, that, that 12 hours, uh, 12 to 16 hours? Well, it really could be reading the scriptures or, or praying and God says, are you ready to give it up? And I'm going to tell you right flat out, for a long time I said, no, I'm not ready to give it yeah. up. But one day I said, okay. Now, does that mean I never watch a football game? No, I don't usually watch a full football game, though, because it's just, to me, a waste of time. Not because football's a sin. <laughs> it's just three hours of just sitting there doing nothing is not what God has wanted me to do anymore. And we all have areas, and there's places where where God says, why don't you just give this up? And it may or may not be a sin. You know, if it's a sin, it should be easy to give up because yes, God, I'm going to give it up. But how many times does he say, I want you to give up this activity? And it's not really a sin. It just takes up a lot of your time from him. And God says, are you ready to give it up? And you may say no quite often. And then one day you say, yeah. And then you get to the way... I don't even, you don't even miss what you thought you really couldn't give up. And this is what God does and he changes us little by little. Line upon line, he changes us to think more like him. And this is where it's wonderful. The more you start thinking like God, the easier it is to, to live the way he wants you to live. So we're going to end there and let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come before you and, and, and worship you. We ask for your leading and guidance in our walk. Help us to share you with those around us and, and give us that gumption to, to be very much one that talks about you. 
and especially around those that will think that we're weird and, un, and, and, and strange, which we are as Christians to the world, but that you will help us to show you to all people. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.